Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. As we jump into the last sermon of this series, I'm reminded of a refrain that people say usually when they are working in conjunction with somebody else and you're carrying something up the steps that is heavy, you might look at your partner and you just simply say, hey, I got it. But as you go up a few steps and as you carry it a little longer and you realize perhaps that it was heavier than you thought it would be, and it's getting ready to slip out of your hand. You kind of change that refrain from I got it to I don't got it. And it's a difficult thing as you go through life, everything in American culture points to you making a declaration, I've got it. You're trying to hurry up and become 18 so you can declare to your parents, I've got it. You want to get... you know, your promotion, so you can say, I've got it. You, you just want to say, I can handle my life all by myself. Not because you're so into you, but the culture itself tells you, don't need anybody. Don't need anything. Don't be a needy person. We say stuff like, the worst thing you can be is a needy person. Always need something. Look at them. Coming. Need something right now. So to avoid that, in our particular culture and society, we learn to say no matter how heavy the item is, no matter how close it is to slipping out of our hands, no matter how much that we know we don't got it, let's say, I got it. And I believe that we are plagued with this refrain that we've got it. And if you say you've got it long enough, or if you work or live in a way that boasts that you've, you've got everything handled, you get disillusioned at some point to believe that's actually a true statement. I, I, I've got it. I've got all I need, and I don't need any, nothing worse than trying to help somebody that, that don't know what they're doing, know that they don't know, and help them. It's only for them to, to tell you, no, I, I, I got it. I got it. Well, well let me help you. I, I got it. And then you just got to sit there and say, you, know, you don't have it. Just, just. They'll wait till it slip on out your hand and break and make a mess we all got to clean up. Because when you believe you got it and you really don't got it, somebody else is eventually going to have to come in and help you fix what you didn't have. I believe that we're in a culture and society that's plagued with the I've got it mentality. I think when we think about the writer of this Psalm, Psalm 23, is somebody who came to the realization that I thought I had it, but I don't have it. So I need to tell you how to know who's got it. To me, that's what Psalm 23 is all about. We're gonna be looking at David, we're gonna be looking at the conclusion of this Psalm, looking at the conclusion of, of this, and we've been asked by our dear Pastor Dave at the beginning of this series to meditate all week or all month long in Psalms 23 to perhaps even memorize it. If you go to our website, we can, you can make it your, your screen 
you can, you can save it on your lock screen. It's really, really cool. So I'm assuming that y'all don't need me to put this scripture up on the screen for us to read it. Okay? Because y'all know it. And we're about to find out exactly what you know right now. Okay? Psalm 23. I want you to quote it all verbatim. You can do this because the nine o'clock did it. Now, I've always thought, you know, the 11 o'clock was the service. But we're about to find out everything that's going on in your life. Here we go. Uh, I'm, instead of saying ready, read, I'm going to say ready, say. Ready? Say. Get strong. I love this particular psalm for a lot of reasons, but I want you to know I believe that it's very personal. From the very moment that it start out, it start, starts out with my shepherd. I think that it's very easy to make this more of a corporate experience, uh, a, a, a funeral text, or something that's only a, a mathematical equation to the human experience, something that you say in a religious sense, but I want you to know that the writer has gone through enough of handling his own life his own way and having to see the shepherd show up that he needs to tell you to whom his confidence is in. This psalm is actually called a psalm of confidence. This is not David having confidence in who he is, though he was the guy. This is him having confidence in who the Lord is. But just like us, David, I believe at some point in his life was lulled to sleep with his accomplishments. He had killed a bear with an accomplishment. He'd killed a lion with an accomplishment. He killed a giant with an accomplishment. Saul slain a thousand. He slain 10,000 with an accomplishment. He rose. He got, he got the, 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 the king's daughter. He, he, he got the king's ship. He, he was considered a handsome man. He was, a, you know, when the Bible say you look good, you look real, real good. Ladies, he was a looker. He was the guy you were looking for. And if you weren't looking for him when he showed up, you were looking for him. He was David. Was, in fact, if you go to Florence and, and, and you go and they, they got the statue of the David. Now, you might have to look away because he's naked and Europeans don't have the modesty uh, that you want them to have, you know. But anyway, they got David out there, just out there. He was a looker. All right, so, so David had it going on. He's got it. He's got his life together. He's got it in order. But there comes a moment when it becomes evident that his life, his sin is so heavy that he doesn't have it anymore. That same David with all of those accomplishments 
ends up in a position where he stops listening to the voice of God. He stops listening. When you, here, here, yeah, I'm going to say it like this way. Here's when you know that you have more confidence in what you can do independent of God is when you stop praying. Did you pray this morning? I'm not talking about getting out your bed and saying, thank you, Jesus, only. I thank the Lord and get your coffee and move on with your life. I'm talking a little, little deeper than that, okay? Did you read your word this morning? Are you thinking and walking and talking with God and selecting your seat this morning based on your interaction of intimacy with God? Or do you say, I've got it? Did you take the blessings of the Lord? Did you take your promotion and say, no, nah, I've got it? Did you take your health and say, I've got it? There's just this thing in us that says we can take it from here now, Lord, I know that David had gotten like that because now he's anointed king. Now he's had all of these accomplishments. And the Bible says when the kings were off at war, the season when the king would be going to fight battle, David stayed home. David stayed home living in the confidence of who he was. And the Bible says when he was out of place, when he was out of order, he saw a woman named Bathsheba, Sheba bathing. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that the palace was located uh, higher up and you could look down into someone's home. It wasn't the, that she was probably out there exposing herself like we, we like to dictate. It was David with the responsibility to know that he had a high seat and he had access and availability to look at something and he should have just said no. You know, saying we all have access to a lot of things. You're, you can go on your phone and you can look at anything that you want to look at, even if it's in a, inappropriate. You got the power to look or the power to look away. He had the power. But when you think you've got it, when you think just one little look won't bother you, just one little peek is going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm strong. At some point, when you think you've got it when it comes to sin, sin itself will multiply in your life because sin will always increase and tell you, take you a little further than you wanted to go and keep you a little longer than you want to go. He went from looking at that woman to say, y'all go get me that woman. And he didn't bring her to me based on her, her willingness or her seduction. He, she, he brought her to him based on his power. This is a married woman. Based on the power that he had, he brings her into his home. And not only is she in his home, but he then, t- he then has relations with her. He then tries to trick her husband. And he says, hey, you need to, uh, you need to um, go be at home with your wife. He doesn't do it. He sends her husband to the front lines, gets him murdered, along with others, and then tells everybody, I'm going to do a good thing for this family, and I'm going to marry the widow. You know what we start thinking about David? He's, that's, this is the definition of shady. I mean, this is shade to the max. And I'm trying to tell you, that's what happens to any of us who think we got it. No one is exempt. David had done good things, and now all of these good things are nullified by, because he thought that he couldn't, he didn't have to keep practicing the right thing. Let me just, I didn't say this other but I just feel like I want to get practical. That's why you need practical accountability. You don't move those things. 
who if you're in this room and, and you don't have any accountability to another person, not that they, they have control over you, you're willingly giving somebody access to your life to challenge you. You're not in a safe place. You are not, I think the Holy Ghost, I know the Holy Ghost wanted me to say this, it wasn't in my plan. You are not in a safe place if no one has accountability. You know accountability for your time, no accountability for you, which you, you're just saying you got it. You're not strong enough. You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. It's not just one little look. That look turned into an act, and that act turned into lying, and that lying turned into murder, and that murder turned into cover-up. And it doesn't end. So, if you don't want to be like the person that says, I got it, then you need to be like David. David realized over his lifetime. See, this psalm was written at the end of his life. He he realized it. Here's what he starts out in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy going to follow me all the days of my life. He is remarking on the love of God, the shepherding in God. The, the, the good nature of God, God is always good all the time. He's referred to the Lord all throughout Psalms as being good. He can only do good. In him is light and life. He never does anything bad. In his goodness is him giving you something you don't deserve. In his mercy, he's preventing you from having to to pay the penalty for what you do deserve for doing what's wrong. So he's giving you favor and he's giving you grace. He's giving you goodness and he's giving you mercy. And this is a certainty. This is a surety. This is the character and the way God works. Even when I'm in my worst position, in my worst character makeup, God is there for me, following me looking for me, searching after me, encircling me. I'm so glad that they didn't put in the Bible that he just, if we'd have just said David lied, it'd be one thing. Because maybe you say that that's a lesser sin and you could deal with it. But he's not dealing with David the liar. He's showing you that David had a complete collapse of his life. And in the midst of a collapse of his life, The character of God, the nature of God remains the same. His goodness and his mercy. I I know that none of you, well, maybe if anybody ever here been a sheep herder, okay, none of y'all, y'all don't probably even think about sheep or shepherding. It's not in our culture. It's not in our time. But a a, a shepherd, maybe not in Israel's time, but this is a, a good metaphorical picture that we can apply to this text. He uses him a good sheepdog. If you know a sheepdog is powerful. What they do is the shepherd wants to lead you here and he blows the whistle for to old Spot and he sends Spot out and Spot and his and, and another dog named let's call it don't you know Spot. You know African Americans give their dogs non-human names. So let's name one of them human for other ethnic groups. So Spot and Fred. Spot Spot and Fred, they run out and they funnel, they they circle the sheep until they funnel them into the direction that the shepherd wants them to go. 
almost like goodness running after you and circling you. Almost like mercy running this way and circling you. And he's got you hedged in before and behind. His hand is on you. He's with you. When you're his sheep, he's just got you. And David is acknowledging that surely in my depth of sin, surely in my weakest moment, surely when I let myself down, I let my family down, I let the kingdom down, I want to let you, I know something about about God and his nature. He is good. He gives me what I do not deserve. He's good. He prevents me from having to pay the penalty for what I do deserve. I got goodness and I got mercy and they always following me and they're always winning me over. It's amazing that it is not in the character or nature of God to, to abuse you by telling you how awful you are. No, he's always good. Now, I know that there's confusing things. The Bible says that, woe to you who call good evil and evil good, or light, darkness, and darkness, light, or bitterness, sweet, and sweet, bitter. He says, woe. He said, woe simply means judgment if you do that. And I believe, like, there can be people who, who are confusing because the Bible says no good tree bears bad fruit, no bad tree bear, bears good fruit, but everybody produces based on what's stored up in their heart. What's stored up in the heart of God is good. And so what we begin to do is sometimes what happens to us, we can't see the goodness of God because people have pervert, perverted what good is. Let's take, for instance, um, that people of the world consider this Pride Month. And so we know that God has established gender identity. He's established male and female. He's established sexuality for what it should be. He's established what the rainbow uh, should me, mean. And that when we embrace God, what God wants for humanity, we can't call Pride Month good because it doesn't come and proceed out of the mindset of a good God. But what we can't in the converse do is to go after everybody who is, who go after everybody who is celebrating it or who is uh, embracing it and say they are so awful that, that they don't even need to exist. They don't even need to live. They don't even need to, to, to be around us. God is not asking us to tell somebody how awful they are. That's not goodness, and that's not mercy. Goodness and mercy says, even when you're dead and trespasses and sins, Christ loves you. Christ died for you. Christ cares for you. Christ wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to find you. He wants you to be won over to his way. He wins you with good news, not with a slap across the face of bad news. Let me tell you how awful you are. He, so this is not the moment to find everybody that you don't believe acts and thinks like God. And this is the time for me to pull out my holy hammer and nail you. This is the time for me to extend my loving embrace and say, I, I love, he loves you. And you speak the truth in love. 
To speak the truth in love means you might have to spend more time listening and asking questions before you get to telling the story. Let me tell you, wait a minute. Let me hear you. Let me hear your journey. Let me hear your experience. That's the goodness. The goodness of the shepherd is he's kind. The goodness of the shepherd, he's merciful. Let's look at somebody who does love him. David, you mean to tell me that that he can be merciful to David? The Bible says, for this reason, there was the son of man manifest to destroy the works of the devil. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, a lost son, a lost coin. We talk about a lost sheep. Everything that's lost, he's coming to find it. But I'm going to tell you that where Adam and Eve went wrong in the garden is God says, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. And they took the evil off and just called it good. And they took. And that destroys something when they said, I got it. It destroys something when David stayed home and said, I got it. I get destroyed when I think that I'm strong enough to handle the pressures of my flesh by my strength. The pressures of this world by my strength. Anyone living in this world will get confused about their identity or about what they should and shouldn't be doing or right and wrong if they don't have the light of the gospel shining bright in there with them. None of us can comprehend this world. So is there a difference between right and wrong? Yes. But is there a way that God comes after you? Yes, he comes after you with goodness. He comes after you with mercy. He comes after you with his loving favor and his gentleness. Then. Then I love it. He said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he says, surely goodness and mercy follow you all the days of life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that David realized that God's love, God's favor, God's mercy was not a temporary experience, but it was what his existence was. That God was not just trying to give David a kingdom or a position or, or some level of status, he was trying to give him a relationship. David, from the moment that he's going into the depth of this psalm, is making it personal. This is my shepherd, and I will follow him. I will dwell with him. This is my shepherd, and I will dwell with him. This is a personal experience. Far too often, we are getting locked into an impersonal experience in church, where we come to church to fulfill a duty. We pray to fulfill a duty or an obligation, but somehow we're not making a heart connection with God. I love that David had gone through enough pain and enough experiences of trusting his own self, of saying that he has it and realizing he doesn't, to understand that this God is not in relationship with him based on him getting anything right. He's in relationship with him based on his extreme love for him. So when he's proclaiming that he's my shepherd, he's the person that can lead me out of any dark situation through any dark valley who can prepare a table for me, who can anoint my head, who can cause my cup to run over, who can lead me beside the still waters, lead me into green pasture, who can restore my soul, and who can lead me in a path of righteousness, who can be with me with his rod, be with me with his staff. He's always given me everything that I need that pertains unto life and godliness. And he is not just giving me a house, but with his presence, he's making my house into a home. I'm going to dwell with him. Far too often, we only endure him. Far too often, we only deal with him. 
I dealt with God in my prayer time. I dealt with God at church on Sunday. I dealt with God, uh, uh, I dealt with God and I've already got him out of the way. Now I can live my life. This is a personal savior who wants to do work on the inside of you, who wants to do work changing your heart and changing, changing your life. You know, I'll kind of end with this little thought here. You know, I, my favorite place in the world to be was at my grandmother's house who's gone on to be with the Lord. And, but my grandmother's house was not a pleasant place in terms of this physical place. And this is, this is not meant to be derogatory toward her, it's to give you a factual kind of depiction of what my experience was uh, growing up because, you know, my grandmama had some roaches in the house. Now, it, 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 you know, it has some level of humor to it because these are not the kind of roaches you can get rid of with an extermination bomb. That means you can bomb it on Monday and they're coming back on Wednesday. You can bomb it on, on Wednesday, they're coming back on Friday. Basically, what I'm trying to say, they live there. And these roaches live there, and yet my favorite place in the world to be, even though I had to deal with roaches, was in my grandmother's house. Because in my grandmother's house was where I felt home. Because it wasn't just a physical location, it was the love that I was getting within that place. Far, I mean, God was asking the disciples to follow him. He said, foxes have heard uh, homes and bird, holes and birds have nests, but the son of man have nowhere to lay his head. See, they realized that following Jesus was home. Whether they was up in the open sky or staying with strangers, they believed that being with Jesus was where home was. When you dwell with God, that's your home. When you're with the shepherd, you're at home. David was realizing when I was a fugitive, I, when I had God, I was at home. When I had the palace and I had God, I was at home. He, and he realized that that was the presence of the Lord. And he would make this declaration. He would say, he would say I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I want to let you in with this one thought. When David realized he didn't have it and that God had it, here's how he said it in Psalm 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation, and whom will I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat of my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fail. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. This is a psalm of confidence. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. I'm going to read it again. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I may seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The greatest opportunity, you can stand to your feet, the greatest opportunity we have as people. It's to make an exchange. The exchange is from I got it to I need him to get it. Because I don't have it. And he's got it. It's to realize through humility that life is just too heavy to be carried alone. 
that you'll never be able to carry this life in your flesh. You'll never have enough knowledge to carry it. You'll never have enough physical strength to carry it. And no matter how many things in this world confuse you, you don't have to be confused about the good nature of the shepherd. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the fear in this world, in the midst of the confusion, God is there giving grace and giving mercy. Don't judge anything before time. Give the gospel a chance to work in your life, the good news about Christ. Give the gospel a chance to work in other people's life, the good news. He is a good shepherd. And if you have fallen, the Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll get back up. Why? Because the shepherd is calling him up. He, when the scripture says he does not deal with you according to your sin or after your sin, God doesn't keep on a book of remembrance He keeps of what you've done wrong. He keeps a book of remembrance of what you have done right. And when it comes to what you've done wrong, when it says he'll restore your soul, means that when you repent, he blots out your transgression. He blots out your sin. He removes it as far as the east is and from the west. And he does not remember it anymore. Your sin and your sin pattern is a reminder to you you don't got it. It's not a reminder to you that you're condemned. It's a reminder to you that I don't have it without him. So I keep listening to the voice of the shepherd. I keep letting him lead me. So maybe you're like me today and you feel the imperfection of your life when you enumerate the things that you said silently. I got that. And maybe you want to restore your faith and confidence in God, your shepherd. You can't navigate this life without him. Every day, 24-7, you need him. And perhaps if you've been living a life kind of with him, almost with him, sort of with him, then you're going to find yourself outside of the safety of the shepherd's voice. The good news is he's searching after you. The greater news is if you can return to him, and only follow his voice, you will have it because you have him. Come on, Pastor Bruce, come on up. Bow your head, close your eyes. If you know in your heart that you need to turn afresh to the Lord, why don't you just pray with me? Say, Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen my faith to believe your promises that with your help, I can walk and live in a manner that pleases you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for each person who would say that's my prayer today. Lord, I pray that you would break off things that feel heavy upon them Lord that through confession to a brother or a sister Lord they would find relief forgiveness cleansing that comes from Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and Father I pray that you would renew and refresh them by your spirit with your word may they draw close to a brother or a sister as well as to you that Lord they might walk out 
that which they confess before you today. In Jesus' name.